Psalm 66. I've been mentioning this, but this is the last in a series of uh, 15 messages, and I can't remember if I split any of them up into more than that uh, or into more than one. I think they're all one, but this is the 15th in the series on music, and it's been a long, um, important study. And so we're going to end it tonight with this, um, but I think it's been very clear that, that I don't believe that we need to have contemporary Christian music or embrace that style of music in order to sing well. In fact, I think, I think eventually what happens is, you know, it makes people sing worse. I've, I've talked with people uh, very recently that have said, you know, oh, they have, they have, you know, contemporary Christian music in the church that I came from, and we hated it because we could never participate in the service, and we didn't never know the words, and it was just... There's a group of people up on the stage performing, and we didn't get to participate in the service. We just had to sit there and watch. And that's, you know, that, that's, that's terrible for our spiritual lives. It's terrible for our, uh, for our music program. As much as they think that, that emphasizing that style of music is actually lifting the music up and enlivening the music and all of that other stuff, but uh, a lot of times these churches have swallowed the rationale that contemporary music is going to liven up what would be a dead service if they didn't have that you know, drums beating and music blaring and all of that kind of stuff. But um, I think that enthusiastic, skillful uh, church music is possible uh, within, the realm of, uh, uh, within the realm of possibility for every church, uh, provided that we have the right scriptural foundation for our music. And we've talked about all of that. I believe that we do have that in our church. And so we can have that if we embrace five scriptural concepts that are related to singing. And particularly singing in our church, instrumental playing for that matter, you know, piano and, and any of the other instruments that we have as accompaniments and all of that kind of stuff. And, and I hesitate to use the word performing when we're performing music because we're not actually performing. Singing or playing music in a church is not a performance, which is one of the reasons why we don't clap in a church service, you know. And uh, somebody, you know, obviously there's people that come in from the outside that are used to being in a church that claps and everything else. And if somebody claps, I'm, you know, I'm not going to get up and... and uh, you know, holler at them for clapping during the service. But uh, you notice that we don't, and the reason why is because we're not performing. We're, we're singing the song, number one, for the glory of God, and number two, for the edification of the people who are in there. And so I, I hate to use the word performance, but understanding that distinction, I want to put the focus tonight on the aspects that, that bear on just how we perform the doing of the music that we've that we've carefully chosen to sing and to play in our church. And so this, this is a set of philosophical principles, but it has a direct bearing on the application on the church service itself. So I want to look at some principles I think that will help us improve our church music. And the first one is that we must emphasize participation first and foremost. And this is kind of a, uh, I, didn't, I didn't know exactly the way to go about talking about these things, only because uh, really, those, these are things that have to be emphasized from the top first, right? Um, they're things that, that um, I would have as philosophies for how we are going to do our church music, and then that filters down to everybody else that's part of our church music program and everything else. And so what I'm saying, we have to put an emphasis on, on participation. Essentially, I'm saying me, but we're all part of that. And so uh, I, I, we all are a part of that emphasis, even though it has to come from the top. If it doesn't come from the top, then it's then what's the point of saying that we're, that we need to do it if if we're not going to do it up here? So, uh, but I, I say that to say that everybody ought to join in with the congregational singing. 
Um, I realize that, that not every person is musically gifted, but, but a lack of musical ability does not justify a lack of participation in the church service, right? Uh, everybody ought to have a songbook out. Everybody ought to be singing. Everybody ought to be participating in the service. Um, and that goes for our children as well. So we have to make sure that they have a songbook out, that they're singing, that they're participating in the service, that they're following along with the music as it's being played. And, and yes, that starts here, but that's also all of our responsibilities too. Your responsibility is your family. And, you know, I can't, I can't tell Johan, hey, go get a songbook and start singing. But I can tell Nitten, hey, tell Johan to go get a songbook and start singing. Um, I'm, I'm joking, but essentially that's what it comes down to. Nitten sees that Johan's not singing in the service. He needs to get with him afterwards and say, hey, get a songbook out and you're going to sing. Whether you want to or not, you're going to do it, right? Um, we have to emphasize that participation. Now, you're there in Psalm 66. We'll get there in a second. But First Chronicles chapter 16, and verse 23, sing unto the Lord all the earth, show forth from day to day his salvation. Psalm 66, verse number four, all the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name, Selah. Turn over to Psalm 96. Boy, there's lots of verses that we can look at. I've only picked out a couple of them because there's so many, uh, but this gets the point across. Psalm 96 and verse one. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, sing unto the Lord all the earth. And I realize that these are Old Testament passages, and so they don't directly relate to the New Testament church service, but I think there's a principle that's being established here, uh, especially in the Psalms, but, but all throughout, that, that, uh, that carries through. All of, the, all of us owes God praise, we all owe God thanks, we all owe God worship, so all of us should sing, right? And when he's talking about, and, and you see that same phrase in all three of those verses that we just read, all the earth. That means everybody ought to be participating. And he doesn't say everybody that can sing well or everybody that has a good voice or everybody that can carry a tune or whatever. He says all the earth. And so, because um, I, th I think that you can argue that there are two, uh, two primary passages in the New Testament. We've looked at them. We're not going to take the time to do that tonight. But Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19 and Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. And those are, they're, they're broad instructions that are clearly aimed at the entire church. Sing unto the Lord uh, uh, with, with songs and hymns, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. That's the general idea of both of those passages. He didn't say all those who are musicians in the church. That's written to everybody. It's written to all of us. We should all be a part of that. So in other words, no one is exempt from singing in church any more than they're exempt from any other instructions that are given in the epistles, Right? Uh, just because you feel like you don't have a great voice or something like that doesn't mean that you shouldn't sing and, and fill, help fill up the auditorium with the sound of singing. So having established that practical um, question, then that what follows is how do you do that? How do you, how do you say that, how, how do you emphasize participation? Um, What's happening in most of our churches is that music has gone from participation to observation. Um, and, and I think it's a dangerous, dangerous precedent. I've seen this happening in so many uh, independent, fundamental Baptist churches, churches that for many years we, if not directly, then at least indirectly fellowshiped with. And what's happening is the song service is morphing into a worship team. And what happens is it starts off as hymns today and five, six, seven people standing up on the stage with microphones behind the pastor or behind whoever the song leader is, and they're singing the songs, and they're leading the congregation in songs, right? 
And what that is, is the precursor to exactly what almost all of our non-denominational churches are doing, where it moves away from a song leader and people in the, in the audience participating in singing the songs to those seven, eight people that are up on the stage performing, and that's really what it is at that point, is a performance, performing all the music, and everybody else in the auditorium is just left to sit there and, and watch. And that's why. People don't know what to do. So what do they start doing? They start raising their hands and doing all this kind of stuff and getting into it and feeling the music and all of that kind of stuff. And that's what it's designed to do. But that's how, that's, that's how that progresses. And so that's why we don't, you know, obviously we have our choir that gets up here and sings and all this stuff. That's totally different. But that's why we don't have a worship team up here leading the music, right? We want participation. And if, if there's a church out there, and maybe there is, that can, that can get a, a team of people that are up here leading the singing and encouraging that participation, and that's where it stops, then great. But it almost never stops there. It always morphs into the worship, because then what happens is this guy says, oh, hey, I can play the bass guitar, and this guy says, oh, hey, I can play this instrument, and, oh, hey, I can do that, and next thing you know, they're all jamming out on the stage, and now they're singing songs that are not in a book that people can't read along with and sing along with, and then it's you know, they, there's, there's songs that people don't know, and so they're putting it up on the screen, but there's no music with it, so nobody knows the, 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 uh, the uh, tune of the songs that are being sung, and it morphs into, you're sitting there watching while these group are up here performing, when in actuality, what it should be is all of us participating, and one of the easiest ways to do that is through hymns. Now, I'm not saying that you only, you know, that, that a hymn is the only thing you can sing, but that's how you encourage participation, and so... Um, and then the other side of that, that coin is I think uh, part of that equation is that we all have to sing out, right? Um, doing that puts other people around you more at ease about singing. Um, I, you know, I, I think this is something that, um, you know, the more, that w- the more we do that, the more we sing out. Um, and, and honestly, even in Sunday school class, and I, I do it with the teens, you know, in, in our class, the, the more we, and I don't give away prizes for people who sing loud, but, you know, you can do that in the younger classes, you know, t- in Sunday school, Brother Bill with the, I don't know if they do any singing back there in the, uh, in the Lighthouse Kids and all that kind of stuff, but, uh, you know, that's how you encourage that participation, and it starts at that, that, that lower levels and, and works its way all the way up into, um, you know, into the, into the auditorium where everybody's singing. And of course, I mentioned it already, but, but parents can actually require it of their children. Look, you've got to sing. I don't care if you don't like to sing. I don't care if you think you can't sing. You need to participate. You need to be a part of the song service. You need to be singing. And of course, you can't tell your kids that unless you're doing it yourself, right? How can you tell your kids, you need to sing. You need to get a songbook and, and, and follow along with the words and sing along if you're not doing it, right? So um, I, I don't, you know... Uh, it's, it's, it's just one of those things that it's my job to make sure, and, and I'm not saying that my kids would never have sung without picking up a songbook or whatever else, but it's my job to make sure that they're doing that. And if I see that they're not, then, you know, then it's going to change the next time. Um, and, and I'll, you know, the thing is, too, we have a small crowd in here tonight, and, and so, you know, we're speaking to a limited group of people, but it's, it's, it's broader than that by quite a bit. I'm hoping that people are watching it and, and we'll go back and watch it and everything else. But, you know, there's, there's one, of the, one of the excuses I think that people use often is that they're shy. You know, I'm too shy to sing in church and, and I just, I'm not a good singer and whatever else. Sit next to somebody that you know sings loud. They'll drown you out. They'll give you the encouragement. I mean, and that's how you learn to participate, right? And maybe what you'll find out is you actually have a better voice than you thought you did. Uh, maybe we'll find out that you didn't have as good a voice as you thought you did. Uh, but hey, that's what the Bible says, make a joyful noise, right? 
and you singing out in church is an encouragement to everybody else around you. And so where we say we need to encourage participation, how do we do that? Everybody just has to sing out. Everybody just has to sing. And um, I think our church does a good job of congregational singing, but honestly, I think we could do better. I think we could have some more participation. I think we can have some, some uh, uh, louder music. And, and by that, I'm not saying that we need to crank up the volume on the microphones. I think we just need to crank up the volume on our vocal cords, and we'll have that for singing. Um, and that's probably the single easiest thing that will most improve the church service for every single individual that's here uh, in a service. Everybody has to get involved. So we emphasize participation. But number two, we emphasize, we have to emphasize singing with joy. Turn over to Zephaniah chapter 3. Probably not a passage that you've turned to very often, but Zephaniah chapter 3. I'm, I'm trying to lead people to sing with genuine emotion. And that's one thing that honestly in most churches is so lacking is singing with emotion. You're not allowed to smile when you get up there to sing. You're not allowed to move when you get up there and sing. And I'm not saying that we ought to be dancing around on the stage or anything like that. But, and I realize that some hymns are solemn hymns. They're reflective hymns. But most of them are not. We're talking about victory in Jesus or the old rugged cross and, and these things that are exciting things. We ought to be singing those things with joy. Uh, even in those that are deep, there's, there's this deep inner joy that, that's, uh, it, it, you know, that, that if you're close to him, ought to give you something to smile about, right? Ought to give you something to be excited about when you're singing. That's how God himself sings. Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17, the Lord thy God is in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. He sings with joy. Now, I'd, I'd love to hear what God's voice sounds like, right? I mean, here's obviously God is a musical God. I mean, we see music throughout the entire Bible. And not only that, but he obviously gave people the, mus the musical ability that they have to sing or play an instrument or whatever else. God gave the ability to invent the instruments that are, that are being played and that are accompaniments and all of that stuff. I can only imagine what God's voice in singing sounds like, but even God sings with joy. That's what the Bible says. So that's how, that's how we're all going to sing in the millennium. You can turn to some of these passages if you want. Turn to Isaiah chapter 51. And then we're going to turn to Psalms, and we're going to be in, uh, we'll look at a bunch of different Psalms, but uh, Isaiah 51 and verse number 11. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion. Get this, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. There's, we're going to sing like that in the millennium, right? When we sing, we're going to sing with joy. We see the importance of singing with a genuine and deep emotional joy all the way throughout the Psalms. Let's start in Psalm 9. I'll try to, I'll try to go slow enough to let you keep up, but, but try to turn fast because we, we've got a good number of little verses here, and I wanna, want you to see as many of them as we can. And, and again, the Psalms are filled. There's probably 100 verses that talk about singing with joy, but let's look at a few of them. Verse, verse 2, Psalm 9, verse 2. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. Be glad and rejoice. How? With singing. Sing how? With gladness and rejoicing, right? Psalm 43. Psalm 43, verse number four. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God my God. Playing on the harp with exceeding joy. 
Psalm 71, verse 23. Psalm 71, verse 23. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing unto thee, and my soul which thou hast redeemed. Hey, that makes sense, doesn't it? He redeemed my soul, I'm going to sing unto him, and I ought to be doing it with joy. It's an exciting thing we're singing about, right? Psalm 95. I'm sorry, Psalm 81. I skipped one. Psalm 81, verse number 1. Sing aloud unto God our strength. Make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob, singing with joy. Psalm 95, verse number 1. Psalm 95, verse 1, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Psalms is what they used to sing. Psalm 98, verse number 6, with trumpets and sound of cornet, make a joyful noise before the Lord, the King. One more, Psalm 100, verse number 1, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Now, I tell the choir often, and they can say that, but, you know, to make sure that they look pleasant when they sing. I tell the youth choir the same thing. Smile when you get up there. You don't have to look like you're, you know, like you're laughing at somebody in the audience, but you ought to look pleasant. I'm telling you, one of the things that is, is, is so noticeable to me, at least when we go in, into other churches and visit, you notice whether the people are enjoying themselves when they're singing or not. And I'm telling you, when you see a choir that's standing up there and they're all singing like this, even if in their heart they're smiling, you're like, what is wrong with these people? Why are they not excited about singing, you know? If you're excited, you ought to tell your face, and it ought to show on your face. And, it, you know, I'm not saying that, that you have to be smiling like this the whole time to prove that you have joy while you're singing. But if you have joy while you're singing, it will come out on your face. It'll come out in the way that you sing. And, uh, and, and, you know, that's, that's, that's one of the things that gets me the most when I go and visit a church is just, boy, so dead. And you know why it's dead? Because everybody's just singing because that's the song they've always sung. And that's just, these are old and, you know, this is the same hymn and the same song and the same this. And we're just up here singing because this is what we do. This is the choir. This is the choir's responsibility. And we're going to be done in a minute. We can go sit down. And it's so dry and so boring. The, the music programs that are exciting... It's not because they, they're singing, you know, different kind of music or because they have, you know, contemporary Christian music or whatever else. The music programs that are exciting is when you can tell that the people that are singing are enjoying themselves when they're up there. I tell the, I tell the teens all the time, I would much rather have you sing out than be able to sing. I would rather, I would, I, we have, we have some, uh, some, some music from some youth choirs and things like that, and they, they hit wrong notes all the time, but you listen to that, and you can't even see them. It's just on a CD that somebody recorded, and they sing out, and you can tell that they're singing out, and it's exciting to listen to because they're singing with joy, and that's not even putting a smile on their face because you can't even see them, but you can tell that they're enjoying what they're singing about and enjoying what they're doing. And, and even if that emotion of joy is only attempted at the beginning before a person gets to the second verse, then what's going to happen is you're going to eventually be smiling by the time you get to the end of that song. Um, when, when people visit our, our church, one of the things that jumps out at them ought to be that we are a happy singing people. They ought to be able to tell that we enjoy living for God. They ought to be able to tell that we enjoy singing. They ought to be able to tell that, that the choir is enjoying themselves when they're up here singing because of what we're singing about. It's so, it, it, there's no reason not to. Um, but in my opinion, I think people sing better when they physically form their mouth into a smile. Smile when you sing, and it'll come out on your face. It'll come out in the way that you sing. And it, and, and it just makes the service that much better. It improves our music service. So emphasize participation. 
emphasize singing with joy, but also we should emphasize volume. Turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. The Levites sang with a loud voice. And when I'm saying emphasize volume, that, that has the opposite effect in most churches. Most of the time, they want it so loud that people can't even... I'm telling you, we, we went to a church service. Somebody invited us to a church service uh, around here. Um, uh, and, you know, it was a new, a new guy had come into the area, took a church over. And he said, hey, we're having the special services on Tuesday night during the summer. Why don't you come over to our church on one of those Tuesday nights? And I was like, all right, you know, I'll, I'll go to the church service. I'll, you know, I'll try to, to, to be nice and, you know, just show up for one of their services. The choir got up to sing, and it wasn't a piano accompaniment. It was like a, a, a soundtrack that they used. And Alex was, how old was Alex? Maybe three or four years old, five years old at the most, maybe, maybe. And uh, the, the music was so loud, he was sitting there like this the whole time. And I mean, he didn't even know what he was doing. He probably doesn't even remember that, I'm sure. But it was so loud, he, he was covering his ears. And it was, it was not just that it was you know, a piano that they played really loud on the, on the volume. Of course, it had all the drums and all the everything else in the background, and it was so loud. And I'm sure what they're trying to do is, hey, the louder the volume, the better it is. That's not how you, that's not how you increase the volume. The way that you increase the volume is by everybody giving it everything they have. That's the, the Levites sang with a loud voice in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 19. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. Turn over a few pages to 2 Chronicles chapter 30. Because the priests sang with loud instruments unto the Lord. Verse 21, 2 Chronicles 30, verse 21. And the children of Israel that were present... At Jerusalem, kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with loud instruments unto the Lord. Now, you remember that they did not have uh, sound amplification back then. They didn't even have microphones to, to, to amplify what they were doing. They just sang with a loud voice. They played the instruments with a, with a loud sound. We can go on and on, and you can turn with, these, uh, turn with me in these passages if you want to as well, but we see more and more examples of that. Nehemiah chapter 12 is another one. The services that Nehemiah led uh, included singers who sang loud. It says this, and Messiah and Shemaiah and Eleazar and Uzi and Jehonan and Melchiah and Elam and Ezer, and the singers sang loud with uh, Jezrehiah, their overseer. See the same thing in Isaiah chapter 24. Isaiah called for the people to lift up their voice as they sing to the Lord. They shall, and he says that in Isaiah 24, verse 14. They shall lift up their voice. They shall sing for the majesty of the Lord. They shall cry aloud from the sea. What does lifting up your voice mean? It means singing out. It means singing loudly, right? Uh, not to be outdone, we see that, that, uh, that the psalmist paid his respects to the importance of volume in the singing service. Let's look at a couple in there because they're all pretty close together. Turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verse number 14. Psalm 51, verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. Psalm 59, verse 16. I mean, and honestly, you've got to think about what is being sung about. Um, and, and that, it, it ought to change the way that you sing about it. Psalm 59, verse 16, but I will sing of thy power, yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning, for thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. Psalm 98, Psalm 98, verse number four, 
Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Psalm 149, verse 5. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Psalm 150, verse 5. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. You know, when I sing in church, I try to sing out. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not the greatest singer, but, but the level of volume is not my attempt to try to impress people with how loud my voice is uh, with a performance or anything else like that any more than, you know, loud preaching and hollering is, is, is you know, any less than a performance. People do that kind of stuff all the time, too. But um, it's simply the result of just genuine joy that's accompanied with a desire to share that joy with other people. And if everybody would have that same joy, then we wouldn't have to worry about volume in the church service. And then when you're singing out with joy and you're singing loudly, that encourages the person next to you to do the same thing and encourages the person next to them to do the same thing. And the next thing you know, we, ha- we are filling the auditorium up with sound. Um, and it's, it just, it's just, we're edifying Uh, We're being edified by the sound, but we're singing for the glory of God. We're singing because of what he's done for us. We're we're singing about things that he has done for us. How can you not get excited about that? How can you not uh, stir up the volume that way? And, you know, like I said, it starts at the top. If I'm not singing like that, I can't expect you to sing that way. Uh, but on the other hand, if I'm singing out, then that encourages the, you know, the, the Sunday school teachers and, the, and the, the choir members and everybody else to sing out. And, and, and if they're singing out, then it encourages the people who feel like they can't sing to sing out and, and the kids to sing out and everybody else. And so the entire church starts to sing louder, and that's a wonderful thing. Sing out. Sing. Sing enthusiastically. If you're playing an instrument, play enthusiastically. Belt it out like, like you are in the shower, Right? I know most people don't have any problems singing out in the shower, and why is that? Because they think they're in there by themselves. Nobody's going to hear me in here. I can perform in the shower. Boy, I tell you what, you ought to hear me sing in the shower. Why, do, why is that? Because you're not embarrassed? Because it's just you or it's just your family that's hearing you sing in the shower, right? Why don't you do that in church? Who are you singing for anyway? For everybody else around you, or are you singing for the Lord, right? So... I, I tell the young people often, and I, I mentioned this already, but I'd, I'd rather hear somebody sing out than somebody sing well. Um, a combination of both of those is, is better. Uh, singing out and singing well is better, but I'd rather have somebody sing out than somebody sing with a beautiful voice and, and just, you know, go through the motions of singing that song. So volume, emphasize participation, singing with joy, volume number four. We should seek to develop skill in our, in our church music program. Turn over to Psalm 33. These last two are, 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 are fairly quick, and they, they kind of go hand in hand with these w- together. But we need to seek to develop the skill in our church music program. Uh, Psalm 33, verse number three says, Sing unto him a new song, play skillfully with a loud voice. There's a, there's a huge place in our church music for everybody to participate regardless of skill level, right? We just talked about that. You, it doesn't matter if you can sing or not. You ought to sing. You ought to sing out when you're given the opportunity to sing. But there's also a place that's reserved for those who have a talent in, in music. And God's given certain people that have that ability to do that and sought to develop that talent with, with diligence um, that's, that's the people who are leading the singing, the people who are singing apart from the entire congregation in groups or choir or whatever. 
those who are accompanying uh, the songs, with, mostly with the piano, obviously, is what we do, but um, with, with any other instruments that, that are uh, able to be added in. And, and it's like any other gift. Those people should not attempt to try to skate by on talent. It's something that we ought to be practicing doing, right? Oh, he's got a beautiful voice. He doesn't even have to practice. He can just get up and sing. Well, you ought to be practicing because if you can sing well, then you should sing better, right? Uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of people who have the talent to be in the NFL or the talent to be in the NBA or Major League Baseball or whatever. They have the talent to do those things, but they're not there. Why is that? Because they never developed that talent. Or you have talented people who are in the NFL who are like, man, if that guy would just, I mean, that guy's good. If he would just practice, he would be really good. He'd be a superstar, right? And I'm not saying that we're trying to be superstars out here, but who are we doing it for anyway, right? We're doing it for the glory of God. And if I can be better than I am, why shouldn't I practice and develop that and try to be better than I am? Um, if God's given you a talent, if God's given you ability to sing or play or whatever else, then you ought to take that seriously and do the best that you can at it. And uh, I, I suppose this probably uh, pertains particularly to kids, but they teach them not to bristle at practice, right? And some, I mean, the kids are going to do that, but adults do the same thing, right? Time to practice. Oh. Yeah, practice again. We always practice. We always, always be here, right? Practice is what makes not not necessarily perfect, but practice makes you better. Practice is going to help you get to where you need to be, right? And I know, like most of you got most of the kids are all taking piano lessons and stuff like that. And I remember when I was growing up, I did not want to practice, and there were many times when my parents made me practice, right? And 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 I'm thankful that they did because I actually got good on the stuff that I was I was learning how to play. I haven't played it in a while, but I used to be pretty good on the trumpet, and I need to pull it back out and start developing that again. Um, but that's, it's, I mean, it does have, have something to do with the fact that probably mid-high school, I actually started really enjoying it and started wanting to practice and wanting to get better. But I had, peop I had parents and teachers who pushed me to practice and made me practice when I didn't want to do it. But I'm glad they did because I developed that, and I got better at it, and I was able to use it for God's glory. So... We can never rest uh, satisfied on how good it is right now. There are always areas of music that we can improve in, whether it's the way that we practice with a group or the way that the choir sings or the way that the instruments are played with the accompaniment and everything else. But, you know, maybe you feel like you can sing a little bit. We're not, we're not basing that on talent alone, right? Um, there's many, many people who would never be able to record a CD because their voice is not great. They're, they don't, you know, they're not always on pitch or whatever else who could very easily get up and sing in church and be a blessing. Um, if you can carry a tune, then you ought to develop that. Get in the choir. Practice often. Uh, develop that gift. Use it for God. And I know that, that we have a, a lot of people in our church that, that probably at some point have played a musical instrument in high school or, or you know, middle school band or something like that who actually learned how to play the notes and stuff like that and just got away from it. We, we need to develop that. God gave you that opportunity for a reason. And, you know, of course, you enjoy playing it in middle school and high school and, you know, even in a college if you did. But uh, pick it back up and get, it, get, get, get to using it again in the Lord's service. Which brings us then to the last one and, and kind of goes right along with that. But we should put an emphasis on teaching music to the younger generation. Um, First, First Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 22 
says, And Shania, chief of the Levites, was for song. He instructed about the song because he was skillful. He instructed about the song because he was skillful. What does that mean? He's teaching other people how to sing. He's teaching other people how to play. First Chronicles chapter 25, a couple of chapters later in verse number 7. So the number of them with their brethren that were instructed in the song of the Lord, even all them that were cunning, was 204 score and 8. 288 people were in a class learning how to play music. That's exactly what he's talking about. The number of them with their brethren that were instructed in the songs of the Lord. 288 people, and I know you're talking about the nation of Israel is huge, but 288 people were in a music class learning how to play, learning how to sing, learning how to develop those talents. And so it's very important that we do that as well. And I think the average musically inclined person in American Christianity leading or performing or ministering with music um, received their musical instruction from the world. They... Um, you know, they learned how to play in a rock band when they were in high school or, or after, you know, after that, or they learned how to, you know, whatever, and then they got saved, and now everything that they know came from worldly instruction or whatever else. And so those worldly influences when it comes to the different musicians and the styles and the modes of performance and, all, and so on show up far too often in, in the American church. And, and honestly, I believe that's why so many of our contemporary Christian churches are performing the way that they are, right? Somebody gets saved or in many cases, didn't even get saved, but started playing Christian music, and they bring that everything that they know about music into the church, and nobody ever taught them the principles of music. Nobody ever taught them how music should be played and sung and all of that kind of stuff. And it's our job to do that, especially for the younger generation that's coming up, right? And, and of course, then, the, the young people ought to be open to receiving that instruction. If somebody says, hey, you know, uh, uh, we don't really do that in church. That's just not uh, something that's pleasing to the Lord or whatever else. Then, hey, all right, tell me what I need to learn. Tell me how I need to learn it. It's our responsibility to teach the younger generation. Hey, I think if you did this, you'd actually be able to play this song a lot better. Or if you did this, you'd actually be able to sing this song a lot better. Or, hey, here's, here's some, you know, some scales or something like that that you can practice or whatever else. And that's, you know, that's why you guys... Most of the kids are, in, are taking those piano lessons. You have a teacher that's teaching you how to do those things. That's instruction in music. Um, but the solution is to make sure that those who are leading or performing or ministering with music in the church are influenced as much as possible by those with great experience in church music, which many of us in here are experienced in church music. And so then how do we pass that on? We have to be teaching that to the next generation. We have to be teaching them how to sing and how to play and how to, how to perform. And I'm using that word very loosely, but how to perform in church, how to sing in church and those kind of things. And I think, you know, obviously one of the ways to do that is to, to enroll in music classes at a Bible college to learn how to play and sing. But obviously, very few people can actually do that unless you're Bible college age, right? So we have the responsibility of teaching the philosophies that are necessary for church music. We have the responsibility of, of uh, leading music in a, you know, that musical capacity in the local church in a way that's pleasing to the Lord and then teaching that to the next generation. You don't have to be arrogant to accomplish that. You don't have to be... Uh, you know, step into somebody else's area. You don't have to go above your expertise. Um, but it's our responsibility to teach that to the next generation. Teach somebody else what you know about church music. I'd love to get an orchestra started. Um, and it, it usually starts with, with, with some kids that are just learning how to play. And it's not great at the beginning. But that's how they learn. That's why we have, uh, you know, that's why Levi plays uh, offertory tonight. That's why Alex plays. That's why Jackson plays. That's why those who are learning how to play. Yo, in fact, I think everybody in, there's, in, in here has played 
uh, on the piano for an offertory at some point. Is it perfect? No. Is it, is it, is it Miss Becca's level? No. But it's a, it's a place to start, right? And that's the experience that they get practicing and learning and all of those other things. And so um, that all begins with training the younger generation to play those instruments, to sing, to do all the things that we just mentioned. And, and I think if, if we use that approach to church music, then there's no reason for our church or any church, for that matter, to ever be without uh, somebody who could accompany the, the songs, right? We have, what, three, four? So obviously, Miss Becca, Sarah, um, who, who else? Miss Jenna. We even went down to Miss Eileen, and, and she, she accompanied, right? And, and, and we should have a lot more. We're, we're, we're developing some of those right now, right? We'll have seven, eight, ten people who can, who can accompany a, a song service before too long, hopefully, right? But that's what our responsibility is to do then. There should never be a church that does not have a piano player because somebody ought to be teaching them how to do it, and there ought to be people who are developing that talent, even if they're not great or even if they don't feel like they're that awesome at, at accompanying a song. There should be somebody that should be able to step in and fill it. Same thing with, with a choir. There should never be a church without a choir. There should never be a church without music groups and things like that. It just takes participation. It takes training the next generation. It takes, it takes developing those talents at, at every level in our church. And, and, you know, the musically gifted people in our church uh, that our church has now ought to be constantly teaching other people music and, and doing so specifically as it relates to church music because that's what we're doing here. And that's the kind of music that we ought to be filling our minds with and our homes with. Participate with joy, with volume, with skill. And if you do that, then you teach somebody else how to replace you, right? The greatest thing, the greatest thing that could ever happen in our church when, I, when the time comes that I die or I retire or whatever else is that I ought to work myself out of a job. Somebody ought to be trained to replace me. Somebody ought to be trained to replace the piano player. Somebody ought to be trained to replace the musicians, right? And, and obviously, you keep doing that as long as God gives the ability to do it, but but your job is to be training to, re, to replace yourself, right? Uh, training people to be song leaders, right? Where, where if, if Brian, you know, breaks both of his legs and he's out of church for six months, Johan can take, take over for him and lead the songs, right? Uh, Mr. Forbes can get up here and lead the singing. Something, right? But we ought to be training that next generation to replace us. Um, we're, going to, we're, we're moving towards the direction of uh, uh, not too long from now and, and sometime during the summer, we're going to have a... We're going to have a Sunday evening service that is completely, start to finish, led by our young men. Preaching, singing, song leading, piano playing, all of it, right? We're going to do it. We're going to have that service later on this summer. I haven't, I haven't I've, I've mentioned it, but I haven't, we haven't set it in stone yet, but what, that's what we're doing. We're training that next generation to do it, right? And it's not so we can say, oh, finally, I don't feel like doing this anymore. Hey, you get up there and lead the song. It's not for that. But it's to say, hey, you are going to be in a church, and if it's not here because you've moved away, then you're going to be somewhere, and you need to be able to participate in it, and you need to be able to be a huge part of their music program, and if not there, then here, because we're trying to develop our music program here as well. And so um, emphasize those five things, I think, and over time, our church's music is going to blossom. We're halfway there. We're halfway there. I think we can do a little bit better with that. And we're done with this series. There's probably 10 more lessons that we could teach on music, and, and honestly, we could go on with principles of music and philosophies of music forever, but I hope you have a better understanding of the kind of music that you ought to allow and the kind of music that you ought not to allow um, in your home, in your own life. Why? 
hope you have a better understanding of why we do the music that we do in our church and why that's the type of music that you should seek to find to sing in church and so on. Uh, I think our church, uh, our church music is in good condition, but we, but we have to make sure that we're pursuing excellence. We can't just say, oh, it's our program. We're decent. Everything's fine. It's rolling along. We need to try to get better. We need to try to develop more. We need to try to add more musicians into being able to sing and play and more people who used to do stuff to be able to continue doing those things. And so uh, I, sh- I think we should pursue excellence, but we should be pursuing that within the bounds of, of right music for each other and, of course, uh, most importantly, for the, for the service of the Lord because that's why we do our music ultimately at the end of the day anyway, right? So church music, boy, we could... Uh, we spent a lot of time on that. I don't know how, if, if uh, I guess probably 15 hours worth of, of uh, instruction that we've had on music. There's a lot more that we could say about it, but I hope that's a, a great start for you, at least in, uh, in helping us understand why we do what we do and why we should allow what we allow, why we shouldn't allow what we don't allow. And, um, and that'll, that'll help you to, uh, it'll, it'll help you as you continue to develop your relationship with the Lord. That's what it'll do, hopefully. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Give me thank you so much for how good you are to us. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to spend a lot of time in your word talking about music and philosophies and principles and practices in music. And God, I pray that you'd help each one of us to apply that in our own lives and, uh, and particularly in our church. And uh, I pray that our music program 